Hello, today I am joined by the person otherwise known as the Piano Skills for Singers woman. Brenda L. Stokes is an internationally recognised pianist, vocalist and educator who has taught keyboard and musicianship skills to hundreds of singers. She is the creator of The Versatile Musician, a membership which includes the likes of piano training, music theory, improvisation and lots more. And Brenda is here to chat with me about how to build piano skills as a voice teacher and singer. Brenda Earl Stokes, welcome to the Singing Teachers Talk podcast. How are things for you over in New York? Everything is great. Can't complain. I really want to know how you came to be known as the Piano Skills for Singers woman. <laughs> how did you earn that title? Well, it's funny. I My first, you know, I say my native language is piano. And, um, you know, I started piano lessons from when I was very small. And both my undergrad and my master's degree are in piano, although I did quite a lot of singing between, you know, the end of my undergraduate and, um, you know, past my, my master's degree. And when I started getting more involved in vocal pedagogy, you know, I was teaching a lot of singing. I was working with a lot of singers. I was doing some choral conducting. You know, I was getting hired for a lot of things because of my piano skills. And as I got involved in the vocal pedagogy community, I started getting singers coming out to me going, hey, come over here. I need your help. And I had this huge roster of singers that were all coming to take lessons with me, some of them in actual true secret because they were so embarrassed about and and had so much shame around their ability. And as I was working with them, I just kind of discovered that they'd all had piano training before, but the piano training had failed them. And it's because the classes were or the lessons were being taught by what I call a capital P pianist, a pianist who can train people to be pianists. But if you're a singer playing piano, you're doing, generally speaking, what I would call vocational piano. So piano to support your work. And so when I kind of made this discovery that there was a problem, I thought, well, like who could fix it? I'll fix it. And so, you know, over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, I've been working on and developing this material that is specifically awesome for helping singers to develop the skills they need to support their work. Mm. And why do you think it's beneficial for singers to have piano skills? Well, piano is the place where you can get the most bang for your buck because with piano training comes theory. With piano training comes really marked um, ear training. You know, there are ear training apps, there are ear training classes, but honestly, the best thing that you can do is sit and play the piano a lot in a deliberate way and then kind of sing along as you go. Um, The piano is also, you know, besides just the benefits of musicianship, Piano is the place where you can get the skills you need to be able to function in a work environment as well. So singing teachers that don't have piano skills are going to have a heck of a time trying to get employed over singers that do have piano skills. And singers that have piano skills often can demand a higher rate than singers that don't have piano skills. You know, it's so there's like sort of the the business aspect of it, too. And then you think of all of the gig opportunities for somebody to be able to sing and accompany themselves, not even a crazy accompaniment, but play some simple accompaniment parts, you know, for them to be able to take a church gig or for them to be able to conduct a choir, or for them to be able to um, do a restaurant gig, or a coffee shop gig, or, you know, what we call club dates over here. So like events, 
type of, of gigs. It just opens such a huge door for so many opportunities and for the musicianship benefits. And it's really not as big of a deal as people have made it out to. It's not 20 years of training. It's a couple of years of work, of market work. And you could really have the skills that you need for the rest of your life. So, you know, I'll be on this soapbox for the rest of my life, probably. (laughs) (laughs) And is it going to benefit every singer or is there an element of it being dependent on what style a singer is involved in? Yeah, I think it's really for everybody. I I really do from from songwriters to, um, you know, to studio singers. I mean, you know, the other aspect of this is musical literacy that is so easily gained by playing piano is something that helps you to learn your music better, right? It helps you to be able to transcribe things by ear. I mean, there's really in every setting for every singer, it's a helpful thing to do. Think of an opera singer who has music to learn. Um, or has a church gig and needs to learn their music quickly. I mean, you can pay somebody to teach you the music or you can try to go from a recording, but the most efficient way that I can think of is to sit with even a, a small keyboard and, and plunk out some notes. You know, for songwriters, who's who's you're always gonna share your profits with someone who's gonna write the music part for you if you're just writing the melody and the lyrics. There's just, I just really can't think of a single situation where it wouldn't be beneficial to have keyboard skills. Mm. And you said that it doesn't have to take that long. At two years, we're going to have the skills that are going to be really beneficial for us. So how proficient are we going to get? What are we kind of aiming for on that level? Well, my list of the skills that I think every singer needs to have is besides, you know, just basic basic hand position and being able to, um, you know, have a decent five finger position and, and know the basics of, of decent posture and things like that, is that every singer should be able to play their major and minor chords in all 12 keys. Because once you can play your major and minor chords, there is literally a, not a song in the Western musical tradition, you know, um, that you can't play. And even if you're doing jazz or Sondheim where they have more complex chords, at the bottom of those complex chords is a major or a minor triad. And so at the very least, I feel like every singer should be able to do that. I think every singer should have um, a general proficiency in being able to read music, even if it's just reading treble clef, and even if it's not reading fully notated music, maybe just melody lines. I really think everybody should be able to do that. And then to have a handful of simple accompaniment strategies that support their work. So the skill that I teach in the, the sort of fundamental skill is the concept of faking. And faking is not playing from fully notated piano music as we think of piano music, but faking means that you're playing from either a chord chart, which is the melody or the uh, notes are, or the lyrics are written there and the chords are written on the top, or from a lead sheet, which includes the melody line, the lyrics and the chords. And so that is something that I think everybody should be able to do. And that's whether you're a classical singer, um, a rock singer, a voice teacher, a choral conductor, really anybody should have those basic skills. For people of you know more specific genres, there's also other things that they should be able to do. So there's certain things that I would say a songwriter needs um, that maybe are a little bit different from what a jazz singer needs. But for for the most part, I think in six months, people could pick up those basic skills. Mm. And how can we go about picking them up then? Is there a good place to start? And is there an ideal kind of practice route? 
Yeah. So on my, on my website, I have a, a sort of the ideal 20-minute piano practice routine. And it, it kind of goes as follows where you, you know, you do five minutes or so of technical work. And the technical work, sort of every minute of those 20 minutes a day is is useful time. So you're not playing hand and exercises. You're not playing um, you know, little patterns or anything like that. What I tend to do is teach people how to play simple voice exercises. And if we think of the voice exercises that most of us are playing, it's primarily the first five notes of the major scale, right? Slides of a fifth or an octave, or, you know, one, three, five, eight, five, three, one, like the arpeggiation of, of the, you know, essentially the tonic chord. And so spend five minutes working on that through different keys, right? Because that's the place to, to get started. And then the sort of middle part of the 20 minute piano practice routine is whatever new business is for you. So if you're working on an accompaniment strategy um, of learning some different, um, different grooves or different accompaniment patterns, um, if you're really working on learning those chords in all 12 keys, you know, that's what you do for those 10 minutes. And then the last five minutes is a, is a tiny little bit of sight reading, mm-hmm. you know, like four bars of something simple. And you don't even have to buy a book for it. You can just use whatever music you have lying around, a fake book or Christmas music. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. And so, you know, that's an easy way to do it. I've created a series of courses called Piano Skills for Singers um, that guide people right through it. And a lot of people I've had, oh gosh, five or 600 people come through these courses and it walks you through it. You flip the video on, you follow along with uh, recording. Um, it's very, very clear what you're supposed to do. There's lots of practice tips and encouragement. And so that was kind of my contribution to this process is having a simple um, place for people to go and be able to get this information. Mm. And when it comes to the actual piano itself or the keyboard, are we looking to have something specific? Like, should we have weighted keys or does it matter if it's weightless? Or, for example, a lot of us travel whilst we're teaching as well so we get the 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 travel fold up keyboards are they still useful can we do all this stuff with those yeah i mean what i tell people is to get the best keyboard that you can get for within your budget and facebook marketplace or craigslist or whatever the kijiji is in canada people are getting rid of this stuff all the time and so you know always consult with that let people in your area know that you're looking for something and a lot of times you'll get something for free or for crazy cheap i mean people are throwing stuff out all the time like in new york we're constantly (laughs) constantly getting things from our buy nothing group um generally speaking it's your best bet to get something that has some kind of touch sensitive or weighted keys and I would say for most people to try to get at least 66 keys is useful. Mm-hmm. Um, the roll-up keys, eh, they're not that great. Um, but if you're traveling a lot and that's the only way you can do it, then something is better than nothing. Um, those little like octave and a half MIDI keyboards are not good for this because mm-hmm. it's just not enough that you can do anything with it. But I think you'll be really surprised um, for pretty much anywhere in the world that people are just constantly getting rid of things like that. So it doesn't have to be a major investment. And it's the kind of thing that if you sort of get involved in it um, and you realize that it's important to you, then you can always upgrade. Mm-hmm. You mentioned there are a couple of scale patterns, like knowing your majors and your minors, the fifth glides and also the arpeggios. Could you just give us a demo of what one of those in each of those patterns would sound like so we know what to seek in our own practice and what it would would sound like when we're doing it. 
So, you know, you think of all of the different exercises we can use just using the first five notes of the major scale. So we can do E, you know, any variation of that. You can go E, There's a million of them that you could do with permutations of that. And for any of us who are, are leaning more towards functional voice training, having a whole ton of different exercises isn't really important anyways, because it's not really necessarily the exercise that's important. It's how you're doing the exercise. So, you know, just in patterns for the fir first five notes of the major scale, like you could go a long way with that. And then if you think about, you know, well, what's an extension of the first five notes of the major scale? Well, you could go one, three, five, eight, five, three, one. And that's another thing that shows up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ha, 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 ha. Gla, gla, I mean, you name it. There's a, a million different exercises you could just do with that. Things like octave slides. Ah. Or slides on a fifth. Ah. You know, on and on, semi-occluded vocal tract. I mean, we could do we could do entire lessons only using those the f first five notes of the major scale, and so that's why I say for anybody who's kind of getting into their place where they're doing some coaching or maybe they're conducting a a small choir at their church or at a school or they're doing a singing circle or something like that. That's really all you would need to last you a really really long time especially if the goal of the exercises was to um, was to you know exhibit actual function rather than have a lot of runs and patterns mm. the pentatonic scale is something that um, we're encouraged to use when we're looking at things like riffs and runs mm -hmm. what does that sound like on the piano if we were to play it so it goes one two three five six Yeah. And sort of what variations could we do? We'd be playing with the rhythms just as we had the others. Yeah, you would you would just adjust. I mean, what what I get people to do is you can play those five rhythms and, or five notes of the and put them in any rhythm or just improvise on them. And you could just play a, a perfect fifth in your left hand and just hang out and, you know, move all of that around. So it's really a simple way to, um, you know, to get around the piano a little bit. Hmm. I don't know about anybody else, but I am crap with my left hand. I mm -hmm. am very right-sided dominant, I feel, in my life. How can we make sure that we have as much response in both hands so that it feels quite balanced, that we can we can coordinate that? Right. So whatever whatever the right hand plays, the left hand should also be playing. You know, so if you're practicing, you know, a five note scale in your right hand, then your left hand should also be doing that. So I have people, especially people without a lot of piano training, do one exercise in the right hand, then do it in their left hand, do it in their right hand, do it in their left hand, because then that helps to balance the skills out. And it's not just right handed people who have difficulty with their left hand, left handed people have that problem, too. We spoke with voice coach Kim Chandler for an episode of the podcast on the topic of coaching contemporary commercial music. And she mentioned how voice teachers, we may tend to gravitate towards the, the major scales, but many pop songs are written in a minor key. Mm -hmm. So do you feel in your experience that minors in this particular style of music is where we should focus our attention more? Well, I mean, it depends on it. De I think it depends on a lot of things. I personally never play vocal exercises in minor. I just don't. Um, when I'm doing vocal work with somebody, I mean, 
for the most part, when I'm doing vocal work with somebody, we're working on function. And so I'm not concerned with um, trying to embed musicianship in that because we have time to work on musicianship at other times. But I do make sure that people can hear and sing the difference between major and minor and that they can recognize it. Um, but, you know, minor shows up everywhere. Minor is in classical music. Minor is in jazz. I mean, it, it's sort of everywhere. So I, I try to make sure when we're working on rap or if we're working on improvising or something that it's something that we, we touch on. Mm. And how's the best way for us to tell if something is major or, or minor by looking at a piece of sheet music or listening to something? Well, this is where the piano is helpful, right? This is this is where piano skills are useful because when you're working on your major triads and your minor triads, you're not just, it's like the keyboard is on when you're doing it, you can hear it, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what the purpose of a lot of this is too. Some of it is for the just the raw piano skills, but it's not happening in a vacuum. You've got the keyboard turned on, you're hearing it. And if you even, I even have people sing the chord names as they're playing them. You can sing, you know, arpeggiating around the, the triads. So that's how you would start to work on it. As far as deciding whether a sheet music is in major and minor, it depends on, you know, the style of sheet music. But a lot of times if you just go to the end of the song and look at the last chord, it'll tell you. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a lot of times where it shows up. Okay, great. And when it comes to reading sheet music, what's your advice to singing teachers regarding learning or improving their theory skills and being able to sight read quicker? Right. So I think of sight reading and theory as separate things. So sight reading is just a matter of, you know, being able to recognize things on the page. I mean, that's sort of theory, but I feel like when we start throwing the word theory around, people get really uncomfortable. That's something that comes up a lot. And it's like, no, 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 this is fine. We're reading music. It's technically theory, but don't worry about it. Because I feel like there's sort of this, this negative connotation to theory that there's some like book that's going to come out. It's like, no, 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 we don't need to worry about any of that. Um, but the best way to get better at sight reading is to do it. And this is why in the 20 minutes a day of piano, taking five minutes a day to sight read something. And this is where I tell people, don't go out and buy a sight reading book. You don't need any of that. It can be the stuff out of grandma's piano bench. Um, it can be any music that you've ever had, because I know all of us have boatloads of stuff. If you've got an old um, kid's piano book, the idea is you want to be picking what looks not insanely difficult to play and just playing, you know, a, two or four or eight bars a day, um, you know, slowly. You can work on just the pitches. You don't have to read the rhythms. Just read the pitches for a bit. And then you can just read the rhythms for a bit and you can put them together as you're ready. But the only way to get better at sight reading is to sight read. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no, there's no hack. There's no... Um, I do have several things in my in my online courses that are different ways of looking at um, sight reading or different approaches or different skills like that. We go much deeper into it. But for the most part, there's no way around it. The way that you're going to get better at it is by doing it. Mm. I know what you mean by the word theory, though, because whenever anyone says theory, I just go back to the time I was learning from my driver's license and I had to retake my theory three times <laughs> and I was very embarrassed. <laughs> right. And you're not, you know, you're not alone on that because part of, part of the problem with this too is that who's teaching theory? It's theory professors who are teaching theory for people who will be theory professors. And so 
what I think is is like sort of a reckoning that needs to start to happen is we have to start to customize what do people actually need for their work. And it doesn't mean we're dumbing anything down. It just means the first thing that we should be considering is what do people actually need to, to know? And I know that there's a big argument in favor of doing four-part harmony and doing, um, you know, Bach chorales and all of that, that there is a space for that. But not if that's the first thing you're doing in your undergrad and that's what you're doing. That's a terrible thing to have somebody do if they can't play major and minor chords on the piano or if they have no sense of being able to sight sing or hear the difference between intervals. It's like we really need to have a reckoning around what are we teaching people and why. Because I get the argument towards things like modal counterpoint, but there, I've literally never used any of that ever in my life, which doesn't mean it's bad. But if we only have two years of a program or four years of a program to be able to impart things on people, why not impart actual information that is useful? If we are looking for sheet music, where do you like to go? Where would you encourage us to check out to buy our sheet music from? Um, I don't really like, I don't have a big pro I use sheet music direct sometimes for some things. Um, what I have a lot of my students do is use ultimate guitar because if we're just doing chords and melodies, you know, that's a, a great or chords and lyrics. Um, that's a place that I go for my piano students or singers who are learning piano. You know, I think everyone should have a couple of fake books in their, in their kit. Um, again, depending on what style of music people are doing, but you know, there's jazz fake books, there's pop rock fake books. I mean, there's a mountain of, of things out there. Um, but generally speaking, I don't, I don't, I have, you know, a lot of stuff that I've kind of kept and saved over the years, but I think it really depends on, on where, what people are looking to get, you know? Mm. Can you talk about the fake books a bit more? I know you mentioned this is kind of like pretending that we are <laughs> more proficient pianists than we are. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so where can we find find those and what do they usually entail? In so their what a fake book is, is it's the melody, sometimes the lyrics, if it's a fake book for singers, and then the chords are written on the top. And by the chords, the chord symbols are written on the top. And the idea is the reason it's called a fake book is because you're faking you're faking that you're reading the music as it's fully notated. And so what that ends up looking like is that you could either just your left hand is playing a bass note, your right hand is playing the chord, or your left hand is playing a bass line, right? If it's a pop song, maybe you're playing a bass line and your right hand is playing some kind of a rhythm. Um, if you're a jazz musician, the chord is something that you would then put a voicing into and that a voicing is just choosing different notes from the chord and adding extra notes in. Um, you know, those are the kinds of things. There are worship music fake books. So I have a student who is studying, um, she's doing a lot of church music with me, and she has a, a Christian sing-along songbook where there's hymns in there and worship songs. And, you know, there are classical fake books. So if I'm doing a wedding or something like that, and I know that we're going to be playing a lot of those selections, I'll crack that out because it's a nice thing to have handy. So um, you know, there are there are different kinds of fake, book, fake books for every style. I have a Beatles fake book. I have a 60s R&B fake book. I mean, they have tons of them. And again, depending on what, oh, I have a music theater fake book. Um, you know, it's a great, it's a great resource to use. Mm. As you've mentioned there, being able to play chords is very beneficial as a voice teacher, as well as for the singer. What tip can you share with us about playing piano chords and how we might even be able to create our own series of them 
so that we can play multiple different popular songs with the same kind of set of chords. Right. I mean, once you can play your major and minor chords in all 12 keys, you could play every song. Like it doesn't matter what sequence they're in. It, the idea is by the way you're working on them that once you can play major and minor chords, you can play every song. I mean, it is so un, it's so very rare that you would come across a, a chord that you don't know in a, a popular song unless it was adding a seventh or something like adding a fourth note. But even still, you can just play the major and minor chords. And so for the most part, I get people to work through a specific way working through. I have this sort of magical way that we go through and work through all of the chords. And then you're ready. You go into Ultimate Guitar and you start typing in songs that you're interested in or you go through sheet music that you already have and you, you're playing it. That's it. That's all you have to do. And how do we then fill it? So it's got a little bit more of a groove and it's giving a bit more of a musical instrumental to the singer that we're working with or for the singer to feel a little bit um, fuller. Right. Well, that's where you start to develop accompaniment strategies. So in... Um, one of my courses, the Piano Skills for Singers, um, I, I show 18 different accompaniment strategies. And some of those accompaniment strategies have multiple iterations of them. And so that's that's how this method works, is that I show you how to play your major and minor chords, um, also some of the additional chords that sometimes show up. So I think I go through 12 different chord qualities or more than that, I don't know, there's a lot. And then I have these accompaniment strategies um, that work for a huge range of songs. So you might have one accompaniment strategy and then, you know, I show you how to use it. I show you how to apply it to several songs. And then I give you a list of, you know, 10 or 15 songs that use that accompaniment strategy. So what you're essentially doing over time is you're adding all of these accompaniment strategies so that when a song comes up, you say to yourself, oh yeah, this song is like Dreams by Fleetwood Mac, or this song is like, um, the Tennessee Waltz or, or whatever it is. And so you say, okay, I'm just going to use that accompaniment strategy. Mm. And then inside that, I give a whole bunch of song tutorials where I'm showing you how to actually take the same accompaniment strategy and use it in different songs. So, you know, it's, it's very, very simple. It takes, I mean, it's simple, but it's not, you don't just show up and like, you have to actually do the thing. <laughs> it's not pure magic, but it's such a simple way to work because it, you just have to get these strategies together. And for me, I this is what I was doing. I, I did sing along piano bar on a cruise ship for a few years. And the first couple of you know months I was on there, I felt like I had to reinvent the wheel. But if you really listen to it, there's only so many styles. Mm. You know, it, there's only so many different patterns and grooves people are playing. And so these 18, or I guess it's like maybe 25, if you include the subsets, will pretty much cover you for like you it'd have to be a pretty unusual song <laughs> mm -hmm. would you be happy to just give us a demo on one of the accompaniment strategies that you go through on your course so if i do left right left left right left left right left left so it's a dotted quarter note and an eighth in the left hand Then my right hand is playing beats two and four. So one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. So I'm going left, right, left, 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 right, left, left. And this song is, now here you go again. You say you want your freedom. 
but then how many other songs sound like that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm running down the road trying to loosen my load. I've got seven women on my mind. I mean, half the rock songs out there use that. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, old rock or if it's contemporary rock or think of all of the contemporary music theater songs that use that same kind of rock influenced. I mean, you know, half of the show Grease, you know, just and so once you have that accompaniment strategy down, then you can just apply it to absolutely anything. And honestly, that's what that's what drummers are doing. If you listen to rock drummers there, they have a variety of patterns that they play for certain songs and then they can customize it. They can add on to it. Right. Mm. And so as pianists, when we're doing the solo, what we're actually doing is we're not playing the piano part. We're replicating what the entire band sounds like. Mm. Mm. So when we're listening to a song and trying to figure out the best accompaniment strategy, is it just about listening to the beat and the rhythm or do we need to consider things like time signature or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, it, it, the groove and everything relates to the time signature. So if it's in three, then you choose one of the accompaniment strategies that's in three. And really what happens is instead of trying to listen to something and then try to figure it out, this is why I teach these 18 accompaniment strategies because in the same way, like how do you recognize a major, major or a minor chord? you recognize them because you're familiar with them because you've played them a lot and sung them a lot, right? And this is where I think a lot of these courses and classes at the college level and things fail because you take an ear training class and all you're doing is ear training tests. They're just testing you, but you're not really learning anything. So the idea from the way that I work is the other way around. You learn by playing. You play your major and minor chords and then you don't have to think about whether it's major or minor, when you hear a chord, you're like, of course that's minor. It's like so familiar. Like mm-hmm. I can tell, like knowing what color something is. And then you listen to a song, you know, you've learned these accompaniment strategies and applied them. You listen to a song and you say to yourself, oh, this sounds just like Sweet Caroline or this sounds just like Watermelon Sugar by Harry Styles. Like mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Mm. I sort of came upon this way when I was working on the cruise ship because I was learning all these songs and felt like I had to constantly be reinventing the wheel. And as I started playing the songs, I'm like, oh, my God, this song is exactly the same as and there's 20 of them that all sound the same because a pop ballad is a pop ballad is a pop ballad. It doesn't matter if it's Lionel Richie or Adele. It's a pop ballad. That's what it is. It doesn't matter if it's Celine Dion. I'm not listening to you know, the production value or anything like that. I'm just purely listening to what is the groove of the song. And so what I found and why this has been so effective for, you know, for me, but also like the hundreds of people who have come through this is that there's a familiarity there where you're developing a relationship with this where you don't have to say, oh, let me figure this out. You can listen to it and go, oh, this is that pop rock groove that I learned. Or this is a power ballad, or this is the Tracia rhythm, or this is the Charleston rhythm, or this is that 90s funk thing that everybody plays. Like, it's just, you just develop that relationship with it. Is it the same for something that's a little bit more orchestrally heavy, like a Sondheim or like a classical piece? Yeah, I mean, there's only so many things that you can do. You know, and like you think of the Alberti bass, you know, doody, 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 do. That's something that's there, or something is a ballad, or something is a waltz. And if somebody is doing more classical stuff or music theater, it's the same kind of idea that there are certain patterns. Um, and I cover some of them in the course too, 
but it's the same thing because how many different how many different things are there? A lot of them are just variations on the same thing. But you know, Sondheim has a couple of things that show up a lot. Um, you know, obviously, if the song is in nine eight time or something like that, then that's different. But I think you'll find that there are only so many categories of things. Um, you know, you think of a slow aria. It's either in four four. It's in six eight. You know, there's there's only so many possibilities. So, um, and then by the time you've learned all of these, you've built up enough skills that you could make one up on the fly. That's the other thing is by mastering all of these different um, accompaniment strategies, then you're golden because then you can play. <laughs> that was the point of this. You learn all this, then you can play piano, then you can do what piano players do, which is go, huh, sounds like da 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 da. I'm gonna play that now. So this is what's different than what a lot of methods do. And this is faster. Um, it's it's a lot more efficient and there's a feeling of success and development in a way that you don't get when somebody hands you a beginner piano book and says, let's start to play hands together. This process takes a fraction of the time. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned your course there and I would be really interested to know a little bit more about what's included in your versatile musician membership as well. So can you tell us a little bit more oh, about that and how you absolutely. came to build it? Yeah, so I started making my first online course back, it's five years ago this month. So we're in April of 2023. So five years ago, I thought, gee, I wonder if there's a way that I could teach people how to, the first 12 lessons I give to everybody, but like instead of them having to take the 12 lessons that they could, you know, pay this low fee for it and, and take it. And so since then, I've created 15 different online courses that pertain to piano skills for singers. Um, people requested a jazz course, an improvisation course, um, musicianship. So I have an entire full course on solfege skills and ear training. I have one on rhythm. I mean, I've created a lot of content that is geared towards, you know, helping singers, helping music educators, helping pianists, um, helping avocational musicians. And I realized that most people needed a cross-section of things rather than just one course. And so the Versatile Musician, um, you get access to everything. So it's 15 courses. It's over 700 videos, including, I think we're at 60 um, unique song tutorials. Um, there's an entire course on how to play holiday music. So I did this cool workshop where I show people how they can learn 70 um Christmas songs in like two weeks so that they could literally fake because it's faking, right? So I show you how to break down all of these Christmas or holiday songs in the same way that I do for the, um, you know, the pop stuff and, and all of that. And so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really cool, it's a really unique place. And so members get access to all of the material and they also get a live Zoom call with me every month. So I'll ask members, what's everyone working on? What does people need help with? And this month I did um, a specific workshop on how to play um, boogie woogie piano and how to play the blues. Um, a lot of people were requesting that. And, you know, it's a small company. It's just me. I actually communicate with people. So people have questions. They, they'll write a question in the platform. Ding, I get an email. And so I really have a relationship with the people in there. And it's, you know, it's really cost effective. It's, it's, a, it's a really cool place where people have had some, um, some pretty amazing transformations where people will join for three months, get the skills they need, and then say, like, I can't believe it. I did it. I can do what I need to do. And so it's, it's, you know, it's been really great, you know. And where do we find that? And, and how much is that cost? 
Yeah. So it's at this moment, it's $65 a month or for the year, it's $650 US dollars, which is, you know, it's, it's very, very, very well priced for all the stuff that you get. Similar programs are more expensive, but I, I wanted to make it really um, available to people so that it was something that people could, um, you know, participate in without struggle. Um, to find out more about the course, you can go to the versatilemusician.com or it's all on my website, which is pianoandvoicewithbrenda.com. And I have a lot of great free resources on there and you can learn about how you can work with me or join the membership. Brenda L. Stokes, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. It's been really fun learning about this and I really want to get going on the piano now. <laughs> so thank you. Awesome. So awesome. For Thanks for having me. If anyone needs any help or is interested in learning more, feel free to reach out to me through my website. If you're enjoying the Singing Teachers Talk podcast, and who are we kidding? Of course you are. Share the love by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a comment. Just head to the Singing Teachers Talk main page on the Apple Podcast app and scroll to the bottom to click Write a Review.